joined by Dr. Brad Wilson. Brad and I have gone back and forth this week uh, on text because there's always more information coming out of, about COVID-19. And, uh, you know, as the world is impacted, so is our household, uh, our community. And as new information comes out, I just want to make sure we take the opportunity to talk about it. Welcome back. Diesel. What up? What have we learned in the last couple of weeks since we, or last month since we've actually talked about it? I know I picked up a couple of things. What have you guys been seeing and, or what's your new understanding about what's, uh, what the information that's available for COVID? Well, I think one, one kind of general piece of information I think is kind of important to relay is that what the strategy is going forward, I think that's being proposed and um, um, being set forth as, as a way forward uh, in the absence of a vaccine. And that's, I think they, someone phrased it as a three T's test, trace, and treat, we have uh, antiviral drugs that are available. So um, we were talking about, you know, clinical trials for those drugs and how clinical trials just generally take up, take months to kind of set up and, mm -hmm. and get together and then to put into place, let alone complete and analyze the results of. So there was actually one uh, small clinical trial that, was, uh, that has been conducted uh, using some available or existing antivirals. And then it has some preliminary, preliminary results, but they have to go back and do, you know, some more testing to kind of validate their initial findings to see if this is real, you know, right? Can they duplicate? These are drugs that have always but, existed, though. I mean, from... Yeah, these know, are currently available antiviral drugs. I right. Mean, like we said, coronavirus isn't a, a brand new virus. This is just a different strain of it. Um, so there are, you know, antiviral drugs out there that could potentially have some uh, impact. And then there are the um, therapies that are being de developed from uh, individuals who have been infected. So the, those therapies as well, in terms of what are being, uh, those are currently being used actually for people who have very severe, severe Ill illness in terms of trying to um, prevent them from succumbing to the infection. But yeah, the, the testing is, is another thing in terms of what kind of testing? Because essentially everyone is divided into three groups now. People who have been exposed, people who have not been exposed, and then there are um, people who are been exposed and who are carriers, hmm. right? So does, does COVID-19 have a latency period or is it a variable latency period? So it's just, it's just in terms of the spectrum of the presentation of infection. There's a different, okay. there's a, it just presents differently. Some folks have, were experiencing lack of smell and lack of taste or loss yep. of smell, loss of taste. Yep. Other folks were coming on, you know, with the fever. Mm -hmm. and, and then other folks are completely asymptomatic. They have nothing, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. uh, they felt nothing, no respiratory symptoms, no breathing issues, no, you know, and then other folks are, you know, way out on the other end of the spectrum, very severe, uh, all of those things. And that actually segues perfectly into the one piece of information I did learn. It was, it was published in Nature. So this is a respected peer-reviewed journal. Um, a study conducted in China that was looking at the difference between genetic diversity within the virus and then genetic diversity within the individuals who are infected in terms mm -hmm. of the spectrum of severity, the symptoms mm -hmm. of the infection. 
And what the study found, in essence, was that it was how severely infected, uh, well, impacted someone was in terms of the clinical symptoms was related to uh, a T cell count. And there's a specific population of T cells that are called uh, CD3 positive T cells. CD stands for cluster of differentiation. And these are little cell markers that are on different cell types of your body. Mm-hmm. And that um, kind, of, kind of indicates cellular families within our bodies. And these specific types of T cells have this specific uh, cell surface marker on them. And also it kind of shed some insight onto why, I guess, younger people are less likely to be uh, severely impacted mm-hmm. uh, by an infection or, or to even to get infected. Because uh, yeah. I think there was showing, there was also, I saw some other information about um, places that didn't shut their schools down and what they mm-hmm. saw. Um, and that could very well likely be because children and young adults, adolescents, have higher counts of these T cells. So the lower amounts, if you had fewer amounts of these T cells present, then you are more likely to get a more severe infection. Is that something now, we did, can get tested for casually? Um, it would probably, you could probably get it that information in a complete uh, blood cell count or a CBC. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to go to your clinician, they could probably give you some information on T cells. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you could get specifically CD3 positive T cell counts, but you, possibly, you potentially could. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Like, um, But that's a, kind of a specialized test and maybe right. a specialized test. Either way, it represents but, new learning, which is fantastic. What are you going to say, Mo? I'll say, does coronavirus, because you mentioned the, the, the T cell, so does coronavirus attack the immune system also? So does it, does it attack your white blood cells or can it attack your white blood cells? And are those, are those the cells that we have found are the ones that are fighting the virus in particular? Or is it just a, a coincidence that the people have the higher counts of those uh, T3 lymphocytes? Right. Good question. Good question. So it's not quite, it's not like HIV where HIV attacks your T cells. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So HIV attacks and kills off your T cells and then yep. renders your body kind of defenseless against yeah. infection. And then you succumb to infections that you normally would be able to fight. Right. But coronavirus is not attacking your T cells, but these T cells, this is an observation that was you know, seeing in that individuals who had higher numbers of these T cells okay. were, did not have, weren't, weren't in, uh, infected, you know, their symptoms, they weren't infected in terms of their symptoms very severely. Right. Uh, as, com- as compared to those individuals in their study who had severe symptoms. Right. Uh, and then they looked at that compared to um, genetic differences within the virus itself. Mm-hmm. So all these individuals, they had, they had sequenced the viruses that they were infected with, and then they were looking at that compared to genetic differences within the, within the people. Yeah. So okay. that kind of answers some of the questions about whether or not a mutating virus is something that we have to worry about as well. Right. These, all of these people had, were infected with genetically different viruses, but yet mm-hmm. their um, symptoms were essentially the same, uh, fell along the same spectrum. Right. So, 
different strains of virus, of coronavirus, is, is something that we can kind of take off the table as something to be worried about in terms of mm. when we talk about reinfection, mm-hmm. um, that it has, it has implications for that as well. So yeah. if it's not necessarily different strains of the virus that are causing, you know, different level of severity of infection, then we won't have, you know, then these anti-serum therapies that are out there available, they should be able to provide, you know, um, an intervention no matter what right. strain of the virus or substrain of the virus that you've been affected with. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of has some implications along some other way in some other areas too. But again, you know, more information that we didn't have a few weeks ago. Mm. So to keep it simple, just to make sure I'm, I'm following too. So what that study implicates is it might be that we need to find something that either replicates or, you know, just to, you know, to, to, to somehow create that type of environment or find whatever correlation there is between the folks who have those higher counts of those T3 cells. So the, the solution, so to speak, may be one that leans more towards fixing the humans than it is finding out specifically what's going to merc all these different strains of the virus. Is that right? Or, is, or, or correct and, me. Fix, and fix that's up. a good, and, that's, I'm, and I'm glad you rephrased the question that way because I just picked up on something that I may have said that's kind of, it may seem trivial, but it's important. It's mm-hmm. not that these individuals had higher counts of t- t- these T cells, mm-hmm. probably had okay. normal counts as opposed to having lower counts. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's having, so it's again, it's being immunocompromised, which makes yep. sense, right? This is, what's, this is what's been said, and it's kind of, it, it follows with what we've been saying, what's been what has what has been said in terms of um, you know immunocompromised people being at higher risk? So it's lower counts of these T cells that put you at uh, that were correlated with more severe infection, uh, as opposed mm. to higher counts being. Yep. Well, so um, as associated. the only guy who doesn't have a biology background on this call, <laughs> make sure I'm clear. Whatever signal it was, higher or lower uh, T3 positive cell type, I'm I'm saying that right, lends itself to having a more or less severe symptom appearance. But does that also somehow translate to uh, your ability to spread it? Could you have a low symptom appearance and still still be really contagious? I don't think that it's going to impact spread. I mean, I think the mechanism of spread is the mechanism of spread. And it's just in terms of the impact of the virus on you on that one person. So I might, I might be more likely to survive if I have the right set. Right. If you, and it's, and and the reason I was saying this, it was coming back to having a healthy immune system is really, you know, what it comes down to is like having a healthy immune system puts you at, at, in the position to be able to fight off and not have be severely impacted by this virus. If you're infected, unfortunately, some of the things that we were talking about in the previous on the previous uh, conversation are the things that weaken your immune system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is your guys' outlook based on what you know about how viruses um, appear in, in over the year? What's your outlook for the summer? What's your outlook for the fall? How should we be behaving? Uh, that's a good question. Again, with 
uh, you know, states starting to open up non-essential businesses here in North Carolina. We are just shifted into phase two where restaurants are open uh, to 50% capacity. And, you know, some, I think gyms are reopening in the next phase. Uh, so as we, you know, move forward into that, it's going to be important that we kind of continue to utilize the mitigation measures, right? Uh, continue to social dis- socially distance ourselves, good hygiene, hand washing practices, not touching your face, et cetera. I don't know, the whole mask thing, I'm a little, I have a different opinion on. I, I'm of the opinion that a mask is going to be most beneficial for healthcare workers who are in close proximity to infected people and for infected people themselves, for preventing them from spreading uh, the virus. However, those people should be inside anyway. If it's not an N95 surgical, you know, mask, these are, we're talking about viral particles, which are microscopic and can make it through openings in any other type of mask, technically. So then we talk about how it's transmitted, it's these droplets, which are most are heavy droplets, most of them. And then if you're six feet apart or farther from someone, you, you're out of range of. And so the mask is, you know, it's not necessarily going to be beneficial for that. So, but then you talk about aerosolized. Mm-hmm. And then, again, these are small viral particles and aerosolized droplets, which can make it through openings in a mask. But by and large, it's going to be the large droplet that's going to be the transmitter. And then there is some contact uh, transmission. Yeah, so I mean, we've all been that. freestyling and somebody rapping and they spitting and stuff. That's for <laughs> six feet. That's why you keep it six feet. I mean, I've seen people even making shirts, you know, six, bruh, six feet, you know, <laughs> on the shirt. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. I'm not trying to get in contact with any of your respiratory droplets. Right, right. <laughs> I have, I, so I have two types of masks at the house for, for the family. We have surgical masks, which t- is my understanding that when I'm wearing this mask, it's not helping me at all. But I'm protecting everybody who might otherwise get what I have to assume I have. You know, like I, I, I'm going to assume that I, that I might have it because I've never been tested. I could have it and not be showing symptoms. I gotta, you know, I take pretty good, like really excellent care of myself. I might have it and not know I have it. I could be spreading it to somebody's grandparents. So I wear the mask. I'm protecting you. And I also have the other type of mask. I have some actually N94s, which is just below the N95. And that's for if I'm going into an environment where I'm like, I really just need to protect myself because I, I really can't do anything else about it. So are you saying that the surgical masks you don't believe are helpful? Anything other than an N95 mask? is not necessarily going to protect you from getting infected. Right, right. Because it has gaps and holes in it, which viral droplets can, you know, make it through, or whether they be aerosolized or what have you. Um, But if you are infected, then a mask is going to reduce the spread of the virus because it's going to catch those respiratory droplets. Some percentage of those respiratory droplets. Not all of them per se. It can't be 100%, but yeah, it's going to maybe reduce the spread. The large ones it's going to catch. The small aerosolized ones, it may not catch. It's it's a good chance it will not catch those. But um, the large, you know, heavy ones that are what I kind of think are the main mode of transmission. Yes, there are some surface contact transmission, but it's mainly going to be these large respiratory droplets the mask is going to catch those. Right. So here's where the testing comes into play. So this is where we need antibody testing. Do you have any antibodies? No? Okay, then you've never been exposed. Be on your way. 
Do you have antibodies? Yes. Okay, so let's see if you still have live virus, because mm-hmm. then you're then you can still be spreading it. And then you know, you do those that type of testing, you implement those type of testings in places like schools that you want to send kids back to, and then the contact tracing to back it up, right? So then you catch, you know, those people who aren't sick. If they get sick, then you can fit quickly find out where they got who they got sick from and then control that that outbreak. No. B and I had so we were we were debating live as we always do we lively debate over the phone, and we were talking about going back to the gym because I feel sloppy and slovenly and terrible, and I'm not necessarily gonna be in a rush to go, but I'm looking forward to going back. And what I said to him and what we were talking about specifically to what you were saying, Brad. So. When it when it comes to and I said, here's where my fear or lack of fear comes from in my mind. When you're talking about the droplets and being aerosolized and moving around a gym, so I'm almost never within six feet of anybody else for for any reason at the gym. And I am a person. I wash my hands literally after every exercise that I do, not every set, every rep. But after every different exercise, if I switch machines or switch to a different, so I typically wash my hands four or five times while I'm at the gym. And that was before any of the COVID-19 stuff. I don't think that I'm 100% safe going back to the gym. But my thought was, well, if, if I'm going to be socially distant, I'm not so concerned about someone breathing out particles Because, and this is where I admitted my ignorance, I don't know how, like, for example, you mentioned HIV before, we know that HIV really just isn't found in saliva, right? So you're not going to, even though people, all the stories and stuff, folks spitting on somebody else and trying to infect, we know that that's almost 100% impossible, right? Almost. So I don't know the about the virus's presence in our salivary glands, like how does it get into our saliva so that it could be aerosolized? And so maybe I'm being maybe I'm being a bit cavalier, but I feel like I'm probably going to be okay. Um and so not that you're the you know, so I'm not gonna put you as like, yeah, you're so you're the expert. Tell everybody what to do, but <laughs> <laughs> but And where should I be either more cautious? And this is just so if you're advising me now, right, not, you know, the masses, just like somebody like me, what would you say? The gym says they're open in June. They're going to do social distancing. They're going to disinfect the machines every hour and stop everyone's workout. And welcome back. I totally get this question. Um, I'm thinking about the same thing myself. I, I, I have a membership at the Y as well, and I go to a, a hit cardio class a couple of times a week, and I've been missing that class. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's where you kind of have to use your kind of common sense about things, right? <laughs> so if you think about this virus, it infects your lungs, right? It's a respiratory infection, but it's a lower respiratory infection. So after you, a person is exposed, this virus has to make its way into these cells in your lungs so that it can reproduce, right? And then from there, it, re, it makes copies of itself and then it can get spread. It can get distributed. And how that's happening is when that person coughs and sneezes, those you know, 
know, viruses out of their lungs, essentially. And this is a place where you would want to have testing, right? You would want to have like five-minute antibody testing available so that before you go in the gym, you can say you have never been exposed to virus and you don't, you do not have COVID and you, and you have never been exposed to COVID and you, you're fine to go in the gym. If anybody does come up with a positive antibody test, we'll say, well, you've been exposed. We don't know if you have live virus. We need you to get a live virus test and show us that you don't have live or two negative live virus tests. So I think what the standard has been in terms of saying somebody's okay, um, two successive live virus tests to show negative, and then, then you can come into the gym, right? Mm-hmm. That's where you want to have something like that in place. Mm-hmm. So before, I'm, I wouldn't personally go into a gym right now um, to, in that type of situation where you're in an enclosed space, you know, potentially in close proximity with people, um, I would be, you know, so this group, this hit cardio class that he, that he, that I go to, it sometimes happens outdoors. I'll be perfectly fine with going to that class outdoors and maintaining my social distancing, right? So, kind of, you know, until so I wouldn't be safe. I wouldn't feel safe going into the gym until they could test people going in there, right? To know that none of these people are potentially carriers and I can't get sick from them. Interesting point. Brad's still working out. He's still working out. He, I see him in the parking deck all the time with the battle ropes and people about 15 feet in the background also working out. We, we doing our thing outside. You know, <laughs> we, 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 you know, trying to make do. I mean, and it helps with mental health too, you know, getting outside, vitamin D, you know, fresh air. Yeah. I mean, so I really always continue to go out and exercise outdoors. So I think you just I, sealed it for me. Mo, you presented your argument well, and I thought in a balanced fashion. What you do matters to you, of course, but also matters to everybody who loves you. So it's like me trying to keep you safe by saying, hey, look, man, maybe you shouldn't ride the motorcycle, da-da-da-da-da, is protecting me because I don't want to have to do your eulogy joint or, you know, spoon feed you. I don't want to have to do it. So what I'm telling you, when I objected to the idea that Maurice would go back to the gym, it was somewhat selfish as well, because I know damn well, no, I want to be in the gym. I'm in the gym more than he is on a regular week, for sure, when everything is normal. Um, but like you, I'm a member of the Y. The Ys are way nicer now than they were when we were kids. And there are a lot of old people that go to my Y, right, uh, with compromised immune systems. And if you're telling me that if in order to really be safe in that environment pre-vaccine, I either got to give some blood or somebody's got to touch my brainstem with a... Uh, with a Q-tip, I'm probably just going to go ahead and build a gym in the, in the garage, dog. I'm just, you ain't going to see me in there for a while. I mean, the, the antibody test, it's just a finger stick. It's not, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a real serious situation. But every time I go, every time I'm no, there every no, day. That, no, an antibody, uh, antibody test, it's, it's a five minute test. You can tell like, yeah, right now that or within five minutes if you've been exposing it. Right, but every day so, I got to prick my finger to get in the gym because I could have got it in the last 24 hours, right? Like if I tested negative, negative on Monday, you still got to test me on Wednesday? That's a good question. And that, that, again, that's, 
a complexity of, of how you have to, how you do this. You know, how do we do this? Yeah. You know, the way that makes the most sense. And that's really going to have an impact on keeping, you know, do what it's supposed to do and keep people safe. I mean, because if you're doing stuff that's not keeping people safe, then you might as well not be doing it. You might as well not be doing anything. Yeah. Uh, or if you're doing something to make it worse, then again, that's something you don't want to be doing. Shout out to Muscle Beach. Shout out to Deuce Gym in, in uh, Los Angeles. All those outdoor gyms where they got everything outside. They're about to win. Shout out to every right. uh, 1980s stereotypical front lawn in Compton. They're about to be winning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same thing with restaurants. You know, I go to a restaurant that has outdoor seating, you know, right now. Okay. And sit down and, you know, spend more, you know, overpay for a drink. I would do it, you know, <laughs> but go inside to, you know, a 50% capacity filled restaurant. Not right now. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for that. Let me ask you one more uh, functional question. So in my house, I have uh, a, an 18-year-old who is finishing up his senior year. And even just today, he's lobbied me for his ability to go hang out with friends. Hey, can I go hang out with my friends who've also been, you know, in isolation and quarantine? Now, he may hear this one day, and I told him to his face, dog, I don't trust you. At this age, I don't trust you what you tell me. So I certainly can't trust your friends. I don't know them, and I'm not talking to their parents. How should I be thinking about this? Because I'm thinking... Sure, if you go, but your bed is going to be in the garage when you come back. Is that right or wrong? It's really tough, man. It's it's a that's a tough question. I I don't know, man. I, I, that's a really tough one. That that's uncertainty really answered tough. everything that I needed to hear in my own mental paranoia, and you know I'm that guy. If it's an uncertain, if it's important that we make the goal, I'm going to reduce at every stage opportunities for failure. That's just how I work. I mean, if you look around in the media at, you know, what's happening in some of these places, what's going to happen in two weeks? Let's see what happens in two weeks when, you know, as these, again, as businesses are opening up, non-essential businesses are opening up and conducting more business, people are allowed to be returned to some level of normalcy. Let's see what the numbers do. I mean, that's what I'm curious to see. Mm -hmm. And then if, you know, depending on what happens with those, then, you know, that's going to tell, that's going to tell a lot. But again, it's kind of like a, like a, every two, 15 day to 15 day situation, you know, week mm -hmm. to week. And it depends on where you are geographically, right? Because Maurice, his experience is vastly different from ours being in Seattle versus being in North Carolina. Things are just different. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they sent, you know, the governor and all that kind of stuff. They were talking about the, Three weeks ago now, as of this date, three it's been three weeks since the curve was flattened uh, here due to social distancing and everything else. They have measured that they believe now that it, and this was three weeks ago, that there was one incidence of spreading for every one case. So it's one to one. So here is very, very different because... Like you said, bro, I'm watching these other people. I'm watching folks gather at the beach. I'm watching people protest at the Capitol. And that's really what I'm doing. I'm watching people open up their shops. I want to see what's going to happen in two weeks. If the gym was open right now, I'm that cat sitting there like, yeah, I really want to go to the gym. But let me wait and see what happens <laughs> to y'all before I go. Right, so right. 
I'll, I will hedge my bets for sure. Maybe if it was a 24-hour gym. You can go three in the morning. And see, I have that, and I there. have a 24-hour fitness, and I have absolute – I do my best work sometimes at 2.30 a.m. So right. – I mean, one other point. I mean, I've got, I've got friends, uh, you know, fellow Howard uh, Bison who are, you know, athletics coaches, right? They're trying to get their kids back to working out, you know, to training, you know, getting their kids back in the, you know, training you know, been asking me questions about it as well. So, you know, I advise them to get a, uh, go ahead and get a, a thermometer. So they went, got an, uh, uh, a, I think it's a infrared scanning uh, thermometer, you know, to scan their kids, see if they have any fevers coming in. And then they're essentially just running drills with them, you know, individual drills so they can keep their distancing. Everybody it's on got, the line. Got some kids <laughs> in the pool, you know, you know, limiting them to two at a time, keeping their distance. Of course, you got, you've got the chlorine in the pool, which will, you know, essentially kill the coronavirus. So that's an advantage of the pool, but outside of the pool, et cetera. So, you know, it's really, people are really trying to do, people are trying to, you know, return to normalcy, but they're trying to be smart about it. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the best approach, you know, do what makes sense. I mean, you see some of the, I'm saying, you see some of the videos out here of people just acting like it it's was pre COVID. Yeah. It was pre, you know, doing the things they were doing pre COVID. And you just, and, and you see these are melanated people, and you're just hoping that <laughs> two weeks from now, you're not seeing just, you know, tragic news stories, you know, in the next couple of weeks of what's happening with all of them and, or cases are spiking like crazy. But oh, we're going to have to wait and see, man. Yeah. It it almost seems to me like people are just like purposefully being reckless. <laughs> like not only are we going to gather in these large groups, but we're going to be elbow to elbow and ass to nuts like we're just going to ball up in this place like like they're going out of their way and I the the scientist in me is like, "Well, this is great because <laughs> now we can see in a in a hyper contextual situation what the spread looks like if it's going to come back because we can point right at these people in the picture and in the videos like you talked about and be like that's who we need to trace let me find out exactly what happened to all these folks and uh, and the ramifications of it are really you look at the treatment by law enforcement for for because of lack of social distancing if these numbers start to spike as a result of these things, that's really going to give them justification to continue those types of practices. And that's, that's, that's not, that's not a good look. Yeah, it's not right. a good look for us at all. Right. So yeah. I'm really hoping that, you know, and then, yeah, it seems like, yeah, they're doing, they're trying to just anti-social distance as much as possible. And then they want to do just re- <laughs> completely ridiculous stuff. Like, that's just stupid. They just want to act a fool in addition to not being so smart about social distancing. So I don't really know what's going on, man. But I think that is. I think that in all things with this, there's no one size fits all. I mean, we really kind of we talk we talk negatively about tribalism, but in a sense, you kind of have to be somewhat tribal because what's right for me here, where I am, may not be the same for you know my my neighbor, who's in a different ethnic group, different age group, or for you, Maurice, you're on the West Coast and your climate is completely different. We kind of do have to be looking at this thing 
what is best for my group right now. And if you look at the numbers, let's if we just split it by race, first of all, never mind age. Uh, you know, the filter in America, race brings other suppositions of, um, you know, economics and things like that. We look at the numbers in New York, man. I saw a chart today that said like there were zero deaths in lower Manhattan and in Battery Park. But certain parts of Queens, it was like phenomenal. The numbers just ridiculous. So you can't even say, hey, we're just going to say geographically, look at New York. No, you have to say, look at New York. Look at people who in my or in my income bracket who live like I live. And what's the best practice for for me? Of course, Queens is where all both of the airports are in New York and they're both international. So, I mean, that's kind of, um, you know, where it came into the, into the state. And then in terms of the distribution within the city, uh, looking at Manhattan, yeah, when, when all you put all, when you put the city on lockdown, you don't allow people to move around anymore. And yeah, you got a good chance of, of keeping it out of certain, you know, affluent neighborhoods that where you know you're reducing the mm-hmm. the, uh, the traffic through, so yeah, it's but yeah, I agree in terms of you know things being different depending on where you are geographically, um, and you know locally and what's going on because you know you look at states like Maryland where who's you know you know it's a Republican governor there he's he's doing I think a, a bang up job in terms of his approach to you know what he's what he's doing there and yeah. you know. Trying to get tests in the state and yeah. trying to, you know. he, he imported PPE independent of the government, right? Independent of the federal right. government. Yep. Right. So you got individuals who, you know, and, you know, going against, you know, um, uh, you know, his, his party line in terms of, of, of uh, the current administration and all that. So, uh, you, you know, I, you know, applaud, you know, folks like that who are doing, you know, things that make the most sense. Look at it uh, from the perspective of, of, like you said, your local, local conditions, local situ- yeah. situation, and kind of, um, you know, make sensible, sensible decisions, man. You know, yeah. try to think, use some logic, and and look at it from a reasonable standpoint, and and, and protect yourself. Ultimately, ultimately, I mean, I, you know, please, you know, my 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 feelings on masks are are based on, you know, kind of what I think. And yeah, there could be some asymptomatic people walking around. Um, but if, if there are, I mean, I'm socially distancing myself from them and that, that works for me. I feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. But other people, when they want to wear masks, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, just, just know that if you don't wear the mask properly, it's probably not going to be very effective. <laughs> it, that's where I, come in now on this side more. I'm interested as a former real scientist. I'm interested in the biology, the biological portions. There's also that social portion now, and that's where my focus is. So to your point, Brad, exactly. When people use crime statistics that they got from the FBI website to justify police brutality and state-sponsored violence against black bodies, that exact same fallacious logic is the reason why they would take the disproportionate number of black folks who have been infected by COVID-19 and to be able to say, well, look, we scared of y'all because just like crime statistics work, according to our fallacious logic, 
That's exactly how the COVID-19 thing will work. So we need to treat you all as a bigger danger. And of course, again, to your point, that affluence that you see in Manhattan and that follows people's ability to be socially distant. Mm -hmm. And that falls, I think, I in the I would say probably the strongest correlating factor, and this is this is conjecture, but the strongest correlating factor would be the fact that those folks can be socially distant because they don't have to go to work in the same way that people who are impoverished or so-called lower middle class. And so once you factor those things in, yeah, COVID-19 is going to follow and people's ability and uh, to, to manage social distancing and the extent to which people are going to be fed up and ready to be like, screw it, I'm done with social distancing. I got to get back to work somehow. I'm going crazy here because I feel like my entire life is in this precarious balance. While those of us who are who can who can weather the storm financially are much less likely to do race, class, and those two, as we know, are inextricably linked. And that just that's the part that concerns me actually more than whether or not I'm going to get infected. And I'm worried about both. Yeah, definitely lots of lots lots to unpack around it. I mean, you got, you know, PTSD as a result for, you know, folks as well, people who are dealing with mental health issues, domestic violence. I mean, it's all types of stuff going on, you know, uh, around this. It's it's really a, a, a you know, one of those life um, marking type of uh, events, right? You know, something that we we'll always refer back to this, um, mm-hmm. you know, and this will be a something that ties, you know, multiple generations together. I, for one, am really looking forward to the work of flushing out the new normal. You know, I think it's lazy to just sit back and hope for things to get back to normal. Back to normal had a bunch of problems that since we're having this global event, now all of those problems are big enough to address by people that aren't just the ones being affected by it. Like it's big enough to address problems in school or health disparities or access to health care. We might actually be able to have a basic universal health care discussion that falls on less deaf ears now as a result of the things that we've seen. So I'm really looking forward to the work um, that we should all be, you know, really embracing and getting involved in. We all have to be activists at all times. If we're sitting still, we are falling behind. And, uh, you know, yeah, that, that old normal kind of sucked. Let's uh, let's use the the opportunity to to grab some new ground. Yeah, definitely, man. That, that kind of, you know, sparks, uh, segues into a, a, some slightly tangential topic uh, in terms of this current political race and, and what all this means right now and how we should, what we should be doing right now, uh, although we know who the nominee, Democratic nominee is, uh, we can hold, try to hold him accountable uh, and try to, you know, leverage his need you know, for our support um, to get what we want. I mean, we're I mean, over the barrel on that one. <laughs> it's already done. I mean, but but now, but this but the thing is, I'm seeing him. Um, you know, he's kind of like got this attitude as you know that that we owe him our vote. He's kind of taking it for granted. And then his most recent comments is like kind of reflective on 
that mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I don't, you just need to be quiet and come along, you know, <laughs> and come along for the ride, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is what, and you know, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's nominee now, but he still got a, he still got to select the VP and he still got to, you know, come up with some policies, you know, he's still got to, you know, present a platform that he's going to run on. Right? Yeah. And what's that platform going to consist of is, and that's what, the, that's what I'm talking about now. Yeah. But now. Okay. So, okay. So we, you have our support now, but now it's time to, now it's time to show and prove, you know, what, what it is, how it is that you're going to make things better for us. We could All make, right, now's the time for, to make up for that, that drug bill and, and that crime bill. Right. Yeah. Right. We can make, make everything better no matter who's in offices, and I, I really want to say offices because there's way too much focus on that top office. We need to start, like, who is the, who's the school board guy in Mecklenburg where you live? Like, from there up, right? We can make way much more progress if we just take that same activity model and pass it on, make sure that everybody in our circle is, is showing up. Show up. Vote your conscience. I don't care what it is. Show up for every election. Vet every office. Like, do the reading from the bottom up. And just vote your conscience. You don't have to vote like you think, you know, we we supposed to vote. We're, we're not a monolithic people, right? We all have varied opinions. But if you show up, we get a much closer reflection of our, of our opinions. And that's what we Absolutely. want. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the local levels are, are, more, are far more important. Exactly. I think it's worth, it's worth mentioning that there's been this leadership that's been provided by some by black women, uh, whether it's London Breed in San Francisco, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, mm-hmm. Keisha Bottoms in Atlanta, that speak to and and now so we know for example Simone Sanders is is working if I'm not mistaken with Joe Biden and he hired um, a sister now to 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 run his came I think her last is Pierre, I can't remember the the sister's name but. They've been providing for me comfort in all of these things that we're that we've been discussing in terms of like with London Breed in, in San Francisco, she was like, stay home. Go <laughs> all three of them have home. been that way. Yeah. Don't do shit. Go home. Lori Lightfoot, say what right, you know, and it comforts me to think, for example. If and when there's the next COVID-19 or something similar, hopefully nothing ever worse ever, not realistic. If it comes up and it comes up anytime soon or even if it comes up in the future, I think these sisters have set such an important precedent for making sure they're in the room at the table and helping to guide the conversation. And so that gives me a sense of comfort. Uh, in terms of making sure that our voices are not only considered, but again, part of guiding the the public policy, the subsequent public policy. Right. I, I hear you. And yes, it's important that we're in the room. I'm not. I'm not so concerned about putting a black woman in the VP position. Because it's all about the policies for me. It's about the platform and the policies, what you're going to actually do. Because the VP is, is an office that's, you know, at the most, someone will be in for eight years. And who you select, that needs to be the person who's going to be the, 
the the can the person the selection that's going to give you the best chance to win. And I don't know necessarily if that's a black woman, other than uh, Michelle Obama, and we know she's. I don't think she's running. So other than her, I don't know if a black woman would be the best person to run with. Um, I, I, I would, don't get me wrong. I would love to see a black female uh, vice president, but is that, is that feasible? Is that going to, is he going to win? And we need him to win. So if, if the answer is yes, then I'm all for it. But I don't know if the answer is yes. Yeah, we should we should have a healthy skepticism when it comes to is America going to do the right thing when it comes to how it interacts with black folks. Because one of the things that I say, and it's a line I use in every single class that I teach, America has always and continues to be trash at race. And so I trust the consistency of America, the United States of America, to be trash at race. And our job is to start pulling it out of the wastebasket, kicking and screaming and shove it in the back and and do everything, tie a rope around his ankle and, and bring it on with us. And so that it's my hope that the people, and to your point, it's my hope that the people who are guiding Joe Biden, whether they are as prominent as the vice president position, um, whether or not they are in that position, that there are black folks in the room again, and not just there and not just at the table, but guiding what ostensibly Joe Biden would do. I think that's a that's a positive in, in my mind. But, yeah, to your point, do we trust the rest of the United States? Are they going to look at Stacey Abrams and be like, we could never put her one heartbeat from an 80 something year old man at president. That's, so. that's the question. Like she, although, you know, the, the, the state race that she ran was, you know, highly contentious and there was, there was some really unfortunate things that went, that, that happened in that race to prevent her from, you know, that probably had a, you know, role in her not winning. Um, like you said, I don't know if America's ready for Stacey Abrams as vice president candidate, you know, vice presidential candidate. 